Welcome to Blissful Beginnings with Courtney Esther. So I am so excited to have Katrina here with us today to talk about breastfeeding. So thank you so much for being here. And I would love to start out just hearing a little bit about your story, if you're open to sharing, and um, how and why you chose to breastfeed. Okay, great. Well, Courtney, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this talk as we've been trying to plan it for some time now. Um, and congratulations on your podcast. It's wonderful Thank to you. share to share all things motherly. Um, so two and a half years ago with my first son, I really struggled. Um, he was a preemie. He spent time in the NICU. I had a C-section and everything that, you know, I had hoped for my birth never happened. It was just totally a traumatic experience for me. And, um, it led to a lot of issues with breastfeeding and I ended up exclusively pumping for three months. And that's exactly how long it took me to finally be able to have my baby latch and nurse efficiently. So that was very stressful. Um, and every week I went to a support group at the local hospital and, you know, I read so many essays and, you know, blog posts by lactation consultants and pediatricians that were also lactation consultants to try to figure out if what I was doing was right or wrong. Um, I also had a lactation consultant come to my home to help me. And this was after all the nurses in the NICU were giving me suggestions that just didn't seem to work. So that was, you know, my inspiration for starting to share my story and blog. And after a while, someone said to me, oh, well, you know, it seems like you're passionate about lactation. Why don't you become a lactation consultant? <laughs> so um, I looked into it. And luckily, I already had so many of the courses completed um, as I work as a language teacher even though it doesn't seem related, uh -huh. I, <laughs> um, I guess working with kids and just the psychology and a lot of things that I had to study in college for that are relative to the lactation counseling uh, consulting for the IBCLC. So I'm on my path. I have three more years to get that done. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. And now my second baby that was born in March Congratulations. Thank you. It has been a completely different experience because as we know, every single birth is unique and every single baby is unique and every experience that we have will never be the same. So I actually had a home birth with my second baby and I finally got the natural birth that I wanted and everything that I had read about and expected and wanted actually came true this second time around. Um, my midwife knew all of my expectations and knew how to support me. Um, I had no doubts. I felt so confident. And I don't think it was just because it was my second time having a baby because it was really so different from the first time. I, I think it's because I had a really great support team 
Um, I'm sure, you know, most midwives are also very um, proficient <laughs> with lactation and breastfeeding support. Yes. So she was a great help to me and just kept my confidence going. And, you know, within seconds of my baby being born, he was on my chest, skin to skin, and he stayed like that for about 48 hours straight and just latched right from the beginning. And it was such a beautiful experience that, you know, unfortunately, so many mothers don't get um, after they welcome their babies earthside. So for me to be able to have that, I'm so grateful. And I just every day I hope to share tips on how to, you know, get to wherever you want to end up in your breastfeeding journey or just learning the basics about lactation. But, you know, we could drive ourselves crazy with all the information that's out there, you know, just like childbirth, we know we can study it and know the science behind it. Um, however, when it comes down to it, sometimes your body just needs to do what it needs to do. And we have to trust the process. So, you know, it's, there's a lot, we could study lactation, you know, there's so much that goes into it, really fascinating facts that I've been learning just over the past few years that never cease to amaze me. But at the same time, you know, sometimes I have to step back a little bit and just kind of listen to my midwife who she has like a very um, hands off kind of approach and just not to worry and let it go with the flow. And I've been trying that the second time around and it's really making such a difference. Wow. That's such a powerful story. And I have a few <laughs> questions I'd, I'd love to circle back to because you mentioned your first baby unfortunately ended up in the NICU and yes. did they were you able to feed him breast milk or did they give him formula during that time so um such a common problem with many hospital procedures are they're done without parental consent so while I was being stitched up from the c-section um you know, although they knew I had intended to breastfeed and I gave birth at a breastfeeding friendly hospital, apparently, um, I actually woke up to a pump on my lap with all the flanges and, you know, because I was awake for the C-section, but I guess I fell asleep shortly after. I don't really, it was all a big fog, but um, rather than waking up to my baby on my chest, I woke up to all the pumping accessories and they wanted me to pump right away which is fine, but it would have been nice to see my baby first. Um, my arms were strapped down during the C-section, so I didn't get the immediate skin to skin afterwards. So I actually didn't see my baby for several hours after birth. Um, and he was perfectly fine and healthy. So, you know, I can't go back and investigate everything, but they actually gave him bottles of formula right away without me knowing. So I, definitely feel that that was, you know, a big contribution to why I was having latching issues with my first baby. And the reason I asked is that I work as a birth doula and I recently had a client who ended up um, getting transferred from the birthing center to hospital. Her baby also ended up in the NICU. She was able to hand express some colostrum and gave um, explicit instructions that she wanted um, to, you know, only give breast milk. And yet he was bottle fed formula for about five days. And she's now having a lot of issues. Um, he has bottle preference. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems to be a really common problem in the hospitals. 
Um, I'm not sure how to get around that. Um, but how were you able to transition? Did you pump breast milk and put it in a bottle or did you use like a bag with a tube and try to feed him your breast milk while he was on your breast? How did you eventually get him? And obviously if someone's having issues, they need to contact, you know, a lactation consultant or their, you know, local Lalichi league and not just go from this podcast, but how did you eventually get him from formula and bottle back to the breast? Yeah. Right. Excellent discussion to have because unfortunately uh, a common practice is to give a newborn baby hours old or days old, you know, bottles of formula, which is usually a much greater amount than they need, because we know that the drops of colostrum that we have in the first few days of life is really all that the baby needs. So when we see them feeding the newborn babies like two, three, four ounces at a time of formula, it's really harmful. Uh, to the breastfeeding relationship. So, and as you said, nipple preference is a real thing. So it would be great if we could see, as you mentioned, like hooking up the tube, like a supplemental nursing system, lactation aid, that would be so much more ideal in these types of situations, especially if, you know, the mother can't be with the baby right away following delivery. And there's also cup feeding, uh, spoon feeding, or finger feeding in which you can use a syringe. These are things that we should be doing and you know, hospitals should be allowing mothers to have this option rather than just going right to the bottle. And again, as you said, leading to the nipple preference because these babies, although breastfeeding is natural, they still have to learn how to do it. So when they're given an artificial nipple, it's much different. They use different muscles. It's a different sucking pattern. So they kind of have to unlearn and then relearn when they transition from artificial nipples to the breast. And in my personal experience, as you said, you, you know, everyone needs individualized support. But in my personal experience, um, you know, I was feeling so discouraged by month three because I still couldn't get my baby to latch and I did everything the hospital lactation consultants told me to do and I still failed. And the lactation consultant who came to my home said, you know what, let's try a nipple shield. And I was surprised because in the hospital I was told, oh no, you don't need that, don't use that, it's not good. So um, initially the baby was on bottles, artificial nipples for the first few months. And then I started, I always offered the breast, however, before each feeding, I always tried to offer the breast and maybe I would get a couple seconds or if I was lucky, a couple of minutes of the baby nursing. But I, you know, I had to always top off with the bottle for those first few months. But once I introduced the nipple shield, I would kind of, you know, let the baby nurse, he would latch with the nipple shield. And then sometimes I would just try my luck and remove it, you know, at random times. And sometimes he would latch and nurse for a few minutes and sometimes he wouldn't. So just kind of like trying to trick him uh, was sort of the way that I transitioned him from bottle to nipple shield to breast. And once I got him on the breast, we never went back to bottles. That's amazing that you were able to transition. And it's really, 
interesting to hear that the nipple shield worked for you because I've been reading a book called Dr. Jack Newman's Guide to Breastfeeding. Yes. Um, I, most people love him. Some people find him a little bit radical, but he seems to be anti breast shield, but it's just a reminder that what works for one person doesn't work for everyone and that we need to follow our instincts and be open to trying to, if one thing's not working, like you said, you were just kept trying with the nurses at the hospital said to you, and it wasn't for, you know, working for you to maybe be open to other suggestions um, and see how they fit for your body and your baby. Yes. I actually, I adore Dr. Jack Newman. I, I love that book. Um, that was very inspiring for me after reading that. I, I learned a lot and I can see where some people might call him radical. Um, <laughs> however, I think, you know, I think he knows his stuff. There are certain topics that I might not agree with, but I could understand why, you know, lactation consultants don't always advise to use a nipple shield because, you know, it could hurt your milk production and it's not quite having the baby at the breast, you know, if the ultimate goal is breastfeeding, it is baby, it is better, excuse me, to just have the baby at the breast. So I could see that as well. But again, as you said, you know, it's all trial and error. It's kind of like we have to investigate and do some detective work to figure out what the issues are, why baby's not latching and what we can do to try to help get the process going. So I guess my next question is, what advice do you have for women who want to breastfeed but don't know anything about it? Because if you look back, you know, for most of eternity all over the world, women were exposed to breastfeeding. They saw their moms doing it, their sisters, the other women in their community, and it was, you know, almost second nature to pop the baby on your breast, you kind of understood how to hold the baby and how to latch the baby because you'd seen it done your whole life. But we've moved into this bizarre world, um, mostly from marketing where breasts are sexualized and formula is amazing. I don't think formula is amazing. I'm just saying, you know, that's what's marketed to us is that, you know, formula is just as good and breasts are, you know, for sex. And so people don't breastfeed as often and they also cover up in public. So women are not seeing breastfeeding and don't naturally know how to approach it. Um, I do know that midwives and a lot of doulas have knowledge, but um, for someone who maybe their insurance just covers an OB or they end up in the hospital unexpectedly, what kind of advice would you give them on you know, where to start, what kind of resources to use? I think it's, it's very overwhelming for a lot of women who are not used to seeing breastfeeding and it's not normal. Yeah, this brings up so many ideas in my head. Um, so a few big points uh, that I want to address. Um, you know, number one, it is a very odd time that breasts are so sexualized that women do feel they need to cover up to feed their children. However, you know, if it's showing cleavage in a sexy way, it's fine. So that's why I really work so hard to you know, make it a point to help normalize breastfeeding and, you know, not cover up because I don't need to. And, you know, share photos and share stories and let other women know that they're not alone and this is a normal thing. Um, that's point number one, because growing up, my mother and my grandmother, they did breastfeed, but 
you know, I was the baby of the family. I never saw it. I never witnessed it. And even as I grew up, you know, in suburbia on Long Island in New York, I can not recall one time that I went out in public and noticed a mother breastfeeding. Um, my whole childhood, I really don't recall seeing it. And as of recently, I have noticed on several occasions, whether I'm at an aquarium or a restaurant or a cafe, if I do start breastfeeding my child, then I'll see other women feeling that it's okay and they'll do it as well. Um, likewise, I was in a resort and you know, on vacation in Florida and I didn't know how the crowd would react. So I was so nervous at the pool. I was trying to cover up, having my husband hold up a towel. I was a nervous wreck and I felt so ridiculous because I had to go walk up to my hotel room because I was embarrassed to nurse my baby. Meanwhile, on my way up the stairs, I noticed two other nursing mothers sitting right behind me. So I think if we just really kind of let go of the fear and come together and just do it, the more people that see it, the more normal it becomes. Um, you know, likewise, just because we have relatives or parents, uh, mothers who breastfed us doesn't always mean that we have that support. Um, because things were very different back then, you know, whether it's the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, mothers who did breastfeed, there was a lot of different viewpoints from today. You know, for example, you only have to breastfeed for four months or, you know, they have to wean by eight months or 12 months. You know, now we know that the benefits of breastfeeding never stop for as long as you breastfeed. And it's a very personal choice for however long a mother wants to continue with lactation you know, whether it be for weeks, months, or years. Um, so we're fortunate that we have all this knowledge now. But for mothers who really want to breastfeed, and again, the majority of mothers do want to breastfeed. You know, we know that breastfeeding is the ideal and perfect food for our babies. It's, you know, trusting science. It's made for our babies. Um, however, we are fortunate that we have other options. We have donor milk which would be the second best option if you're not able to pump or produce. And then, you know, we have formula. So there are options and that's wonderful. But the problem is when women really want to breastfeed and the majority of them do, and they don't have the support and they don't have the knowledge and they don't know where to start and they get so much bad advice. Um, I'm sure you know how easy it is to go on Google and, you know, type in breastfeeding tips or go in a support group on social media. And the problem with that is you have a lot of pointers from mothers who just share personal experience, what may or may not have worked for them. And this is actually damaging because we really can't relate to one another. You know, again, you need personalized support from a qualified professional in lactation that can help you. So there's all these, you know, all this misinformation out there. And really the best way to conquer that is while you're pregnant or planning on getting pregnant, meet with the lactation consultant or lactation counselor, go to local support groups in your community um, that are, but make sure they're led by a lactation consultant or a lactation counselor or a breastfeeding counselor. And you know, start educating yourself on what's normal. I think the biggest problem is so many women have these unrealistic expectations. Um, and 
I, I feel like we can't talk about breastfeeding without talking about sleep. Yes. Because if, you know, if we read Dr. James J. McKenna's books and all of his studies from his mother infant sleep lab, we know that breast sleeping, the term that he coined, is so crucial to understand because you know, mothers think they're failing when the baby isn't sleeping five, six, seven consecutive hours by 12 weeks, when realistically, many babies don't sleep that long until they're a year old or more. Um, I believe the statistic is 80 somewhat percent of infants at six months are not sleeping, you know, five or six consecutive hours overnight. And it's completely normal because thanks to Dr. McKenna, again, we know that infants wake for a reason. We know that it's, you know, protecting them from SIDS. And we know that they, most of them need to nurse overnight, whether it be every two, three, four hours, sometimes more, sometimes less. So, and that's the same during the day, you know, supply and demand. It's such a basic concept that we understand when it's relating to other topics. But when we talk about breastfeeding, people think they need to go a certain amount of hours and plan a schedule. And that does not work with breastfeeding. And I think that's a big reason why so many mothers fail. Um, you know, perceived low supply is such an issue. However, more than likely, a mother who has perceived low supply is just not feeding often enough or restricting feeds, which therefore interferes with supply and demand. And leads to all these other issues. So I think what we really need to do is just share the education that babies cannot be put on a schedule when they're breastfeeding. They'll get different amounts of milk throughout the day. They'll get exactly what they need. And our bodies will make exactly what they need as they remove the milk. We'll, we'll replenish that. And that continues overnight. You know, breastfeeding overnight is necessary. And, you know, if we just give the support and ideas of how to make life easier for new moms so that they can continue to breastfeed for as long as they like, this will be such a big help. And just knowing that there, you know, James McKenna talks about different ways that we can co-sleep. And for some reason in our culture, people hear co-sleeping and they think that it's this deadly, you know, horrible idea meanwhile it's the best thing you can do um especially with the first within the first year so i think by sharing that knowledge of how important it is to you know follow the natural cycle of your baby follow your baby's lead and you know not restrict feedings i think that's the first point that all new mothers should really understand Yes, I think that social media and the internet is a wonderful tool for connecting with like-minded people, but we need to stop using it for medical advice. I, I'm in mom groups and I see all these moms um, normalizing things like, oh, you know, I, I, I quit nursing because I have so much pain and everyone's like, oh yes, it hurts too bad to nurse. Well, from my understanding, that's not normal. If you've got pain, you've got a bad latch or a problem that needs to be 
addressed. Discomfort is different than unbearable pain. Um, I know it can be uncomfortable as your milk comes in and you're, you know, adjusting to breastfeeding, but it shouldn't be so painful that you can't bear it. Or, oh, my baby is 12 weeks and he's not sleeping through the night. You know, how do I get him to sleep through the night? I'm like, babies aren't supposed to sleep through the night. They feed every one to three hours, one to three hours around the clock. Um, But all these moms chime in with their personal experience and they mean well. But I think Mm -hmm. we need to remember to go back to the experts, you know, pediatricians, lactation consultants, whomever, midwives, um, doulas, and not, you know, get info from your neighbor, Susie, who had a horrible experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's exactly what I was touching on before. It's actually more damaging to take advice from our friends and relatives, because their situation may have nothing to do with ours. And as you said, pain during breastfeeding is just an indication that something's wrong. And, you know, lactation consultants, they're not medical providers. They can't prescribe or advise or diagnose. However, they'll work with you to find the root cause of why you're having problems and, you know, why your supply is not where it should be and why you're in pain, which is what we really need. We need to fix the problem. So, again, having that knowledge, like you said, listen, if you're really lucky, you'll get a baby that sleeps four to five hour stretches overnight. <laughs> but for the most part, at least every one to three hours, you know, and sometimes it could be the same baby every hour, every two hours, it changes throughout the day. And that's completely fine, too. So instead of really worrying, we need to go back and trust our bodies instead of trying to swaddle our babies and put mittens on them. I don't know where these trends came from, but it's so counterproductive when breastfeeding because our babies need to be free to move. They need to feel us. They need to touch us. We need that closeness. We need that connection. We need that bonding. And all these you know, things that are marketed, all these devices, all these extras are really not necessary. And I think a lot of moms want to buy stuff, buy stuff, buy stuff, think it'll help their breastfeeding journey. Meanwhile, it's adding more stress. It's wasting money. If you want to invest money in breastfeeding, work with the lactation professional, get the support you need and know what to expect. You know, again, the most important pieces in a breastfeeding relationship is the mother and the baby. So that's where we need to put most of the focus on. I have a few, I don't want to hold you all day, but I have a a few more questions. One of them is I see frequently online, um, again, and I don't want to take, you know, advice from moms online, but I see a lot posted about lip ties and tongue ties. How common are they? and, And when do moms know that they need to reach out for help? That's a great question. It comes up so often. And it's really something that midwives and lactation consultants look for right away to rule out that issue. Um, So there's so many different opinions on this. Some, you know, some professionals say there's not enough research. Others say there is. Um, In my lactation course training manual, it's said that It could be three to 10% of babies will have oral ties and a lesser percentage of them will need them revised. Um, That's in my course training manual that 
I got certified with. However, I speak with oral surgeons and pediatric dentists, and some of them feel that, you know, there's no harm in doing it. Like you can never overdo it. And others tell me that they very carefully pick who will need it because on a rare occasion, it could actually cause the baby and mom to backtrack and have issues. So some people say it'll stretch over time and, you know, heal itself. Others say it has to be done. And again, I think if the function is fine and mom is not in pain and baby's gaining weight and baby's healthy, maybe you don't need it done. But if mom is in pain, if baby's not gaining weight, there are a bunch of red flags that we can look for on top of that. Maybe that procedure is a good idea, but that's really something that, you know, mom has to go with her instincts and she has to meet with her team. And within that team, it should be a lactation consultant. It should be a pediatric dentist or an oral, oral surgeon. Speech language pathologists can help. Um, craniosacral therapists, chiropractors. These are all people that you know, should be on your team to help you make that decision. Because obviously, again, it's so individual. Makes sense. My other um, question is about pumping. Um, I have one on hand, but I am not returning to work outside of the home. So I have no interest or desire in pumping. And I got <laughs> lectured by my mother because she said that, you know, you need to pump in order for the father to be involved. And I explained, no, he can do skin to skin and read books to the baby. He can do bath time. He can do diaper changes. There's many ways for bonding that don't require pumping, um, which I'm assuming you would agree with. But I know some moms have to go back. We have. Oh, yeah. hi. <laughs> no, this is a great topic. Come on. Yes, yeah, some moms um, have to pump. So some moms have to return to work. We have horrific maternity laws in the United States, which is a whole nother episode. Um, so for the moms that need to return to work, um, should they start pumping as soon as the, the baby's born, as soon as their letdown happens, when it's time to go back to work? Is there a proper time to start pumping and trying to offer bottles or at least start pumping if you know that you need to return to work outside the home? This is a great topic for discussion. Um, and again, as you said, pumping is not for everyone. Um, a wise lactation consultant once told me that you only pump when you have a reason. So as you said, if you're going back to work, absolutely, you're going to be pumping if you'd like to continue with breastfeeding. Um, however, <laughs> I can absolutely agree with you also that your, you know, husband or your partner can certainly bond with the baby in so many ways that don't involve feeding them. And if you really want him to feed the baby or, or her, whoever your partner is, by six, seven, eight, nine months, let them go with the solids. You know, the breastfeeding relationship doesn't need to be, you know, shared with anyone else if you don't want it. And that's fine. Um, if you want to introduce a bottle or if you have to introduce a bottle, it's usually recommended to do so once breastfeeding is well established. So once you know that your baby is latching at the breast, is effective at transferring milk, um, is gaining weight, is growing, then you may want to start introducing the bottle. And this can vary from baby to baby. Um, some people might feel good about introducing a bottle at four weeks, some at eight or 12. 
it's really, again, another thing that's personalized on your own situation. Um, and as far as pumping goes, you know, if we pump, we know that increases our supply because we're removing more milk and that's how we tell our body to make more milk. So I, you know, personally, you know, as a mother, I stayed away from pumping this time because I know that I just want my body to sink and make what my baby needs. We have this odd idea that we need to make the most milk possible when we're breastfeeding, which is really harmful and inaccurate because we don't need to make the most milk. We need to make the right amount of milk. So if we're nursing all day and then pumping in between and whatever else we're doing, we may end up with an oversupply. And that could lead to other things like engorgement or discomfort and ultimately may lead to mastitis if, you know, clogged ducts don't get treated or infected. And, you know, on top of that, you have to really keep your parts clean. Um, you know, you have to have updated parts when they're getting used. It's a lot of work. So I personally am not pumping this time. And if you do have to go back to work, I think you really need to think of it this way. Your first day back to work, they say you need about an ounce per hour that you're away from the baby. So if you need, let's say, about eight ounces of breast milk, you could probably get that within a week if you want to hand express or just pump once a day. You may be able to get about an ounce a day in between feeds. So I wouldn't stress about that too much for most mothers. Um, but if a mom is very anxious and she wants to have some just in case, that's fine too. She can start by just maybe collecting an ounce at a time here and there. Uh, early in the morning is a good time when you wake up and you're very full. And, you know, you could even start with a manual pump. There are manual hand pumps we can use or like a silicone milk collector type of pump. There are different options. And even hand expressing is another great option if you don't want to go right to the electric pumps um, until you do go to work and you really need to. And another big mistake I see is moms who are bottle feeding, they're not expressing while their baby's getting a bottle. So every time that that baby is getting supplemented or drinking your milk from a bottle, it's super important that we express, whether we hand express or pump or However, we express because that's going to protect our supplies. So a lot of moms who do oh. go back to work, a lot of moms will struggle because they're not removing milk frequently enough. So I think we're getting better. I think most places are allowing their employees um, a private room and time for pumping. Ideally, if a mom could pump every three hours, that would be wonderful. Um if the baby's really young, maybe even two hours would be better, but sometimes stretching it to four hours might be okay. So again, if you're working an eight-hour day, you're going to want to pump at least two or three times during that shift to protect your supply. While we're on the topic of pumping, the other follow-up question is what about pumping and dumping? So whether you're, <laughs> you're home or you're back to work and then you want to have a couple drinks, but you feel guilty for having a couple drinks because you're still breastfeeding. Yeah. So this is another hot topic. And again, I read all of the professionals, you know, all of their advice, what they have to say. And Dr. Jack Newman actually comes to mind 
he says, you know, and I refer to him because he is a pediatrician. He is an IBCLC and he's very, you know, he's, he's a big deal. Um, he says that no amount of breast milk, uh, sorry, no amount of alcohol can pass through the breast milk to negatively affect the baby. However, the main concern is if the mother's under the influence of the drug, alcohol, she may not be able to care for her baby properly. So that's his point of view. So that's one way to look at it. Other lactation consultants uh, will say that, you know, based on how long it takes for your body to absorb alcohol and process it, you may want to nurse your baby, then enjoy a drink, and then wait at least two hours to nurse again. So some lactation consultants will tell you to wait two hours per drink. So if you have two drinks, maybe try to push it to four hours. Or if you have one, wait a couple hours if you can. Others say that there's really no harm. You know, let's say you want to have a glass of wine with dinner every night, and that's what you want to do. Then that might be right for you. Uh, There are other mothers who don't drink alcohol at all because they feel it's not worth it to risk it. So that's a very personal choice. Um, And again, there are pediatricians and lactation consultants who say it's perfectly fine. And there are some who say to limit it. Um, I think the biggest issue would be is, you know, if you have an addiction and, you know, you're doing it in excess, um, obviously, just with anything, I think that would be a big problem. But, you know, again, that's a very personal decision. And um, there are articles on that. Um, I know La Leche League on their website, they also talk about it. So some different viewpoints and different things to take into consideration. That makes sense. I guess it's, it does come down to there's probably a million opinions and it's how much you're drinking and, and lots of factors involved. My last right. question is, do you have advice for women? Like I know personally that I plan on letting my baby nurse for as long as they want to. Mm-hmm. And um, my partner, most of his friends are not married, you know, they're single, they don't have kids yet, but they have siblings with kids or friends with kids. And I've had comments, you know, like, oh, well, in a couple more months, you know, you can go out. And I said, well, not really, because the baby needs to eat. And they're like, well, you're not going to want that baby on you past three months. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, and I get comments like that all the time, like, well, you know, you don't want to breastfeed past six months, or once they can talk, once they have teeth, everyone has an opinion. And right. we met a, a, a gentleman at a birthday party the other day who actually has kids. And his wife was at a meditation retreat because he said, you know, our oldest is six, our youngest is three and a half, and our three and a half is still nurse, a three and a half year old is still nursing. So she hasn't had a night to herself in over six years. And she really mm-hmm. needed this couple of days at this meditation retreat. So mm-hmm. I, I sent her there. Um, for him, it was perfectly normal that his wife was still was still doing occasional feeds at three and a half. But for most of the population, they're very judgmental and you get some pretty nasty comments, which I feel like can wear you down, even if in your heart, mm-hmm. that's what you think you want to do. Hearing over and over and over again, well, I mean, you're going to wean that baby, you know, in a few months, right? And I'm like, no. Um, how would you advise women approach that? Because it can be pretty... Uh, disheartening. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the main thing to remember is anyone's opinion about how you're mothering through breastfeeding is irrelevant to you. It really doesn't matter. 
Um, everyone's welcome to have their own opinion, but it really means nothing. So speaking of harsh comments, I'll never forget when I had one of my first night outs uh, with a friend to go out to dinner. My baby probably was, I don't know, six, seven months, my firstborn. And a friend of hers came up to me and said, oh, stop trying to be a hero. And I was like, wow, like, <laughs> you know, I just chose to breastfeed my baby and that's what I want. So like, I'm okay with making lifestyle changes so that I can do that. And, you know, anytime someone says to you, oh, you have to stop or the baby's getting too old. You know, I'm going through that now with my two and a half year olds. I'm hearing comments from my family that I have to wean him. And sure, some days I'm so touched out between nursing a newborn and a toddler. However, you know, I also intend to let himself wean. But at this point, I'm also considering some days of trying to, you know, set more limits and boundaries and maybe possibly wean him completely. I don't know. And that's something that I take day by day. And I think all women have to do that because, it is hard and there are going to be days that you get touched out and there are going to be days that you want to quit. Not every day is going to be full of sunshine and not every day is going to be easy, but we all know that anything that's worthwhile, you know, requires a lot of effort. So you're going to have beautiful days. You're going to have great days. And then you're going to have those really tough days where you feel discouraged. You want to give up. And then on top of it, you may hear a negative comment from someone else and it is really hard. And that's why we need the support groups. That's why we need, you know, your main family, your partner, um, hopefully some relatives, or maybe at least one good friend to help encourage you to move along however you wish. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's such a personal decision. I mean, not that I think the World Health Organization is the greatest source, but they do advise that breastfeeding exclusively for six months is crucial. And it should continue for at least two years after that. And that's a worldwide, worldwide recommendation. Because we know of the benefits, you know, not just nutrition, but we know of the antibodies and the enzymes and the hormones. And there are stem cells in our breast milk, like if, <laughs> like, it's just really so many incredible benefits, and they don't end at a certain time. And when we look at the natural age of weaning, uh, there's a lactation consultant that did um, a study on it. I just forgot her name for a moment. I think Catherine something. Uh, I'll come back to that. But she did a study and she points out that the natural age of weaning, when we let children wean on their own, is between two and a half and seven years. I've so, heard that. <laughs> yeah. And I think Dr. Jack Newman actually, I know because I quoted him, he states that no child will self-wean before the age of three to five years. So when we think about that, you know, there's no reason to rush it if you don't want to. If mom's happy and she wants to continue breastfeeding, that's all that matters. Because in most cases, if that baby is not at least two and a half, three years old or older, that baby's not going to be really ready to wean. But again, just because a baby wants to continue to nurse until they're five or six years old doesn't mean that mom has to commit to that. Because again, there can be so many bumps in the road. Mom could be touched out. Mom could have other issues. You know, 
whatever the case may be, mom has to also be willing and able to continue. Um, because obviously we want what's best for our babies. However, mom, mom matters too. So correct. If you're severely depressed and (laughs) touched out and just, you know, feeling resentful of your child, that's obviously not benefiting anyone either. And that's why, you know, we just take it day by day. We do the best we can. And, you know, you can have an initial goal and say, I want to breastfeed for a year or two years or until they self wean. And then, you know what, if that does change at any point, just be gentle with yourself, be kind with yourself and know that any amount of breastfeeding that you're able to do with your baby is a gift and the benefits do last a lifetime. My last question is, are lactation consultants for everybody or just people who are having issues they want to be addressed? So I think, (laughs) my personal opinion, lactation consultants or counselors are for everyone who's planning on having a baby. I truly believe that if everyone would just take a course on breastfeeding during pregnancy or before, you know, while they're family planning, it would make such a huge difference because I offer, you know, breastfeeding courses and whether virtually or in person, whenever I speak with these expecting parents, they have so many unrealistic expectations and they are shocked when I share facts with them. So just knowing basic facts about breast milk and the composition and about how often babies should be feeding and about sleep and all of these topics, it's like these topics are not really discussed. You know, we go our whole lives not really knowing what happened when we were babies. We don't really think about it. So bringing light to the topic of lactation is really mind-blowing. And I think just getting the interest and just letting people learn what their bodies are capable of is so amazing. And I think it also will help boost our confidence and, you know, if you know what to expect, then you know not to be so hard on yourself and you know what to do. And, you know, you're not feeling lonely. Like, you you know, there are other people learning like you are. And you know that you always have lactation consultants to reach out to. Um, I keep in touch with a lot of my moms and dads. If they take a class with me, they can always email me. I have a support group on Facebook. And, you know, I I think that's the beauty of it. You know, if you do take a class with a lactation consultant, you're probably going to develop some sort of relationship with that person and have a good resource to refer to whenever you are struggling. But again, if you take a prenatal class, it'll cover so many of the topics that, you know, we need to address common issues. And we could probably avoid a lot of the big common issues such as you know, nipple pain or not getting a proper latch or, you know, problems with sleep or perceived problems with sleep. If we simply just take that time, take a few hours or a few days and just kind of speak with a lactation consultant, learn what you need to know to help you get the best start for your breastfeeding journey. Love it. So my true, true, truly final question is, um, uh, what three things are you grateful for today? And how can people get in touch with you if they have further questions or they want to work with you? I'll put that in the show notes as well. But mm-hmm. what are you grateful for today? Um, three things. And how can people be in touch with you? 
Oh, what am I grateful for? Uh, I put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I am so grateful that I was able to educate myself and have my home birth with a very supportive birth team, including my midwife and my husband for my second birth. I'm very, very grateful for that. So my birth team, definitely. Um, I am also very grateful for my babies, not just because they're really cute and I love them, uh, but because they have helped me to develop into a mother and I'm really loving this journey of growing and learning every day. And I mean, I'm sure some moms can relate, but I really, I feel like superwoman as <laughs> I feel like a superwoman as, as hard as it is. And some days I just feel like I'm failing at everything. And when I look at the big picture, it's such an incredible thing. So I'm grateful for motherhood. Um, and finally, what else am I grateful for? This one might be silly, but I'm grateful that we finally got chickens in our yard and I have fresh oh, eggs fun. every day. <laughs> I'd be so excited about that too. That's my final thing I'm grateful for at the moment. Amazing. And how can people get in touch with you? Again, I'll, I'll post it in the show notes, but if someone um, has follow-up questions or just wants to you know, stalk you on social media or maybe yeah. wants to work with you, how can they find you? So on social media, it's Mama's Magical Milk. That's Mama with two M's, like the Italian spelling. Um, Mama's Magical Milk. And that's also the website where I have a list of services. I have my blog. Um, I'll have upcoming classes once I start them up again. Obviously, I've been focusing on my newborn at the moment. But towards the end of the summer, I do plan on reintroducing virtual classes. So worldwide, you can join a prenatal breastfeeding class with me. And I also will continue to offer virtual counseling services and virtual support. Um, so that can be found at mama found at mamasmagicalmilk.com. And you can contact me either on Instagram, on Facebook, or you can email me. Uh, and the email is also on my website. And that email is mamasmagicalmilk.com at gmail.com. But again, you know, social media and the website, you can contact me as well. Amazing. I really appreciate your time today. I honestly probably could have chatted for four more hours about this, but <laughs> I know you've got a family and chickens at home to tend to. <laughs> and also, you know, our moms who are listening have busy lives and can't stay all day. But I learned so much. I hope everyone else did too. And I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Uh, fourth thing I'm grateful for is having the opportunity to talk to people like you and spread love and knowledge and um, make great change. Love it. I'm right there with you. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much, Courtney. Bye-bye.